It is cold. Ah, and it's raining, as you might be able to, to tell from the sound of the rain on my umbrella. I've got one of those storm umbrellas. I think they were developed here in the Netherlands by scientists. This is a scientific umbrella, and it's shaped not in a circular form, but it is more kind of like an oval, like an egg-shaped form. And you point the blunt end of the egg shape forward and the longer part of the egg shaped umbrella behind you and apparently this will be much better for the airflow so in the Netherlands when it rains it pours <laughs> when it pours there's also oftentimes a lot of wind and we even ride our bikes with umbrellas and so in order to prevent us from falling off our bikes or having the problem that is so annoying when your umbrella is uh It's going backwards, you know, the wind catches it and then everything just folds the other way. <laughs> and you're struggling to kind of reshape your umbrella. Oftentimes it, it, it even gets destroyed in the process. Well, apparently this particular umbrella makes that much less likely to happen. So since it's raining and it's cold, I don't think I'm going to walk in the woods. Instead, I will just stay on the pavement because otherwise I'm just going to be covered in mud <laughs> and I'm not wearing my, uh, my walking boots, my strong walking boots that I miss from time to time. I, I've been uh, spending more time running lately, building up my stamina. As you know, I joined a running group and we train twice a week on Tuesday evenings and on Saturday evenings. But since I'm still recovering from, a, from an injury in my left leg, I have to take it easy. So I can't really do long walks in addition to, to the running. So the only exception I make is today when I'm recording the walk. It's still relatively early in the morning. As you know, I wake up uh, pretty early uh, these days, around 5, 5.30. It depends. Sometimes I shift it a little bit, which actually not a very good idea the best way to uh, guarantee good sleep is to be always on schedule and just for in my case that would mean I'd uh, go to, to I'd go to bed at nine wake up at five but uh, there are still a few uh, factors that sometimes make me stay up a little bit later and uh, and then I just shift the time of waking up in order to still try to have five sleep cycles about uh, seven and a half hours, eight hours of sleep. And, uh, well, th that works actually quite well. I feel pretty energized, even though it's much earlier than, uh, than normal. So it is getting light. But uh, the street lamps and also the lights in the, in the center of the town are still on. And uh, I'm heading out to the right where I actually have the, normally the meeting point with my running group uh, because since we're oftentimes running at night, especially on Tuesdays, we need to stay on the pavement. We need to be in places where it's both calm and where there are lanterns, which is not the case everywhere because this little town is close to the woods and also where, uh, well, where you can just walk or run on, on pavement instead of walk, running in the, in the woods. I can't wait to go out in nature more when uh, spring has sprung, but I'm afraid we'll still have to <laughs> wait for a few months for the weather to get better. I hope you're doing well. Today I want to talk about, a, amongst other things, about a book that I uh, just finished reading this morning, in fact. I always take a bit of time to, uh, to study in the morning as you may remember I have that 20-20-20 routine where I start with 20 minutes of uh, physical exercise. And that's usually, that's not running. It can be walking or biking. Um, but I'm also focusing a bit more on upper body strength. So I'm having this uh, YouTube playlist of, uh, of workouts. It's actually quite nice because you can just type in 20-minute workout such and such and it will just give you a whole 
list of videos to choose from so you can uh, mix it up a little bit. And then I have 20 minutes of meditation or prayer. Um, and usually I, I kind of tend to separate that a little bit from the uh, liturgy of the hours, which is something that we pray in, uh, in the Catholic Church as priests and uh, consecrated people. Um, but I try to be a bit more focused on just thinking and, and writing down stuff. I do a lot of journaling during that time. Uh, more free-form journaling, just writing down my thoughts and thinking about things that happened. Also, oftentimes, is great fuel for for this podcast and for some other things that I record and share with you before you share. It makes sense to first think. Otherwise, you you tend to, uh, to uh, just make content, but it doesn't mean much. It doesn't have much value if it if the things that I talk about don't have value for myself. So, and then I have 20 minutes, uh, usually of reading or studying. I can sometimes also pick a few uh, YouTube videos or... Um, well, it's, yeah, it's mostly YouTube. I do also use TikTok to, for learning. Um, and I and that, that's definitely a place where I pick up on a lot of ideas, but if I want to go more in-depth, you need a different platform that is able to provide you with more in-depth videos that are a bit longer than the what is it one minute sometimes 30 second videos on on tiktok tiktok for me is kind of the place of discovery youtube is the place where i kind of deepen uh my research and uh and that's it's just great and sometimes i will just sit and read um and so the book that i finished this morning is called um, think Again. It's written by Adam Grant, I think. And uh, the subtitle is the something like The Power of Knowing What You Don't Know. And I'd already read another book that he wrote and liked it. And so I started to read this one. And it's been really eye-opening. Very interesting read. The The book is about the uh, the advantages and the benefits of of not surrounding yourself just with like-minded people not to create a bubble to to the the the, the huge benefit that you have in challenging your own opinions and so it's very much in line with the process that is currently going on in the catholic church where we are invited to join a synodal process, as it is called, which is nothing more than doing what the church has done since the beginning, since its earliest beginnings, and that is to enter into a dialogue, uh, an internal dialogue, like the apostles do. They, they didn't always agree on, on stuff. On the contrary, the acts of the apostles are full of you know these different opinions that they have, and then they come together, they talk about it, they pray, they ask the Holy Spirit for guidance, and then they decide. And sometimes they make pretty radical changes in their internal organization. And it's also what you see happening with Paul, for instance, St. Paul, um, in Greece on the Agora, where he goes out and meets other people that think, think totally different from, from him. <clears throat> and he enters into a dialogue. It's also what you see with the, the, the uh, evangelists, so the writers of the Gospels. They each write for a, different, for a different audience. Also, hoping that they can give that audience some food for thought, literally. And so, for instance, Matthew speaks to a more Jewish audience or audience from a Jewish background. So he will often refer to what the kind of language that they know, the kind of stories and narrative structures that they're familiar with, in the hopes that in that way he can build a bridge between the message of of Christ and uh, the faith that they already have. And so this book is not about faith uh, per se, although I think it has a lot of um, interesting or important things even to, to tell those that believe. But it's very much about getting rid of that fear of other opinions, of people that think different from you, people that are not from your bubble, your political... Uh, how do you say that? Belonging or 
um, uh, people that may challenge you culturally. Um, there are so many different reasons to step out of that um, kind of narrow-minded attitude where you just try to protect your own opinions. This book, I think, makes a very good case. With It's littered with great examples. I think the writer himself has a lot of teaching uh, experience. And it's littered with experiences that show that... Uh, but well, let's show on the one hand the risks of cl- of closing the doors on on the world around you, on other people's um, opinions. It is uh, it's kind of the, the resulting nowadays. I think in a lot of the polarization that we see, where people are locked in their bubbles, only want to consume information and opinions that strengthen their own opinions, instead of encountering the rest of the world and entering into a fruitful dialogue and this is very um, understandable I know this from personal experience as well Um, and in order to illustrate that I have got to bring you back in time to uh, my 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 uh, high school years around when I was about 17 years old I was uh, studying of course in school preparing for a university and that's a time that our country was polarized politically. Let me go to the right here, across the road. This is a busy road without any sidewalks, which is pretty common here in, in the town where I live. Still very much car-based. And so it's, it's tricky when, you, when you're just going for a walk. But here, if I go to the left here, I enter this uh, almost the fringes of the town. You have the beautiful villas here, very nice big houses, almost look like castles. And then this road actually turns into a, a smaller road that does enter the woods, but it is paved, which is very nice, especially if you're on a bike or like today when it's uh, rainy and the rest of the surroundings are turning into one big mud pool. So I was 17 years old, and uh, there was a lot of division in society, also a lot of division in the church. Um, you had this um, movement in the church that was seeking for like a liberalization of the rules and kind of following the, <laughs> the, the overall ambient uh, culture. And then you had uh, this kind of counter-movement um, which really tried to emphasize the the truth with capital T's and uh, the rules with capital T, capital R, and how important it was that Catholics um, are orthodox. Um, although, in hindsight, I think orthodoxy was often confused with conservatism. As you know, these two are different things. Orthodoxy means orthodoxa, uh, doxis. So the right, you believe in the right doctrine, um, which in ideally would be truth-based, right? You're looking for the truth. You're trying to, um, to seek uh, this, this one truth that unifies. Um, and you don't make compromises on the truth. Uh, but con- conservatism is something that is basically an effort to keep things as they were or often sometimes also to go kind of back in time and restore a certain perceived order that used to be but is no longer. But these two are seemingly compatible but in reality they are not because orthodoxy in itself doesn't mean uh, that you stop uh, widening your horizon, that you stop the dialogue, that you don't want to hear from uh, a culture or from people that is opposite to what you perceive as the truth. And so these two, uh, you could say, currents, that's the word that I was looking for, these two currents, um, often clashed. And back then, uh, there was still 
uh, quite a bit of media interest for what happened in the Catholic Church because, well, it was still a, a pretty big portion of society that was Catholic. And, and Catholics did have their own broadcasting channels. And so a lot of that time, I remember that there was so much strive in the church and tension between, let's say, the people that felt the church needed to move forward, needed to abandon uh, some of their dogmas and, and, and perceived doctrines uh, and embrace the times, as they call it, <laughs> and those that were vehemently, vehemently opposed to that and and try to kind of close the ranks. And in the process, I think, also kind of close the doors and the windows uh, out of fear and out of this, in itself, understandable desire to protect um, the flock, <laughs> and uh, but also kind of protect the ideas and protect the, 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 the status quo in a certain way. And that attitude especially that more conservative uh, stance uh, and cultural aversion or aversion towards the ambient culture is something that we are still, I think, seeing the effects from. A lot of the bishops that were nominated back then kind of represented this more conservative attitude. And... uh, and that still had what that had, as you can imagine, if the top has a certain attitude, it kind of trickles down also to uh, to the rest of the church. And as a seventeen-year-old boy, I was very happy with that kind of more re- restoration type of approach, where uh, I felt that there, we should have ideals. There, there is something to stand for. I was very idealistic. But as a 17-year-old, also extremely black and white and not very knowledgeable about anything. And so it felt very safe to have to see this kind of counter-movement, um, counter-cultural also, that really emphasized um, kind of the eternal dogmas of the church and what the church stood for, regardless of what society thought. It's not because everyone thinks in a certain way, that it is the truth. Sometimes you have to go countercurrent, And I identified with that attitude because I felt that as a Catholic, um, I, I basically was engulfed in a, uh, in a stream of, of disinterest and, and opposition. And there was a lot of criticism uh, on the Catholic Church and its leaders. And I felt that I had to go countercurrent, so I identified with those that wanted to protect the, the church against all those progressives. Well, you know the rhetoric; it's uh, it's still with us in in many situations. However, what that also uh, does to you, especially if you're young and inexperienced and uncertain, of of course, you tend to close yourself to anything that is to anyone that thinks differently. You see them as the enemy, you know, people to avoid. You surround yourself with people that tend to have the same opinions as you have. And in a way that has protected me, it has worked. I, I, I deliberately cho- chose not to go to any Dutch seminary because I felt that they were all in, in some way uh, hostage of that polarization and you would have... Uh, seminaries or there weren't even seminaries just groups of, of of students that maybe eventually would ask for ordination it was that vague you know and they were studying at the university in Amsterdam and it was very very liberal it was like this climate wherein nothing is certain anymore there is no truth it's all relative and there seemed to be this undercurrent of uh, actually also a very closed ideology that the church had to change not really its ways but had to change its its doctrine its its convictions its values and that for me as a as a young boy was but that I would I didn't want to go there and so but on the other hand you had these seminaries that were kind of restored and kind of modeled on um, uh, educational 
institutions of the past, kind of classic seminaries where you didn't study at a university. It was all in-house. And everybody who taught was screened beforehand. And, uh, and so you would, for years during your formation, you would never encounter anyone who disagreed with what you perceived were the teachings of the Catholic Church. But it went much farther than that. It was also shielding you for anyone who had a different cultural background, a different point of view. Um, it became like a monoculture in a certain way. And I think as a 17-year-old boy, when I was visiting those different places, I felt that. And I was like, this is, none of these options are, are attractive. There is a risk uh, to stepping into a polarized situation, and that is that you will become polarized yourself. You have to choose a camp. And so ultimately I ended up going to Belgium, where the climate was much more calm and balanced and had a wonderful formation, very good philosophy and theology. And then ultimately, after a couple of years, returned to the Netherlands, where also things had calmed down quite a bit. But that fear of, you know, thinking about other... uh, or admitting that, that that people think differently, like I felt in the in the early years of my priesthood as a uh, as part of this this group of knights that had to save the church, <laughs> which is extremely pretentious, of course. But also, I think looking back, I think I was just very idealistic, and it's not that I have lost my ideals. Quite on the contrary, that's not what I want to say. But um, I think that that this idealism went hand-in-hand hand with a certain apprehension of divergent opinions um, and a certain fear to even listen to people that think differently. There's kind of this inner talk of uh, us versus them. And over time, that is what I think, what I think I've, I've started to let go of. And this book has confirmed to me that that is actually a very positive thing to do because you what matters in your life is not really your opinions opinions can change and there's nothing worse than someone who has an opinion and doesn't want to listen to anyone or gather any information that may go counter current that may um, put those opinions in danger What, what, what is really important is to be aware of your values. And that's different. Your values are not your opinions. Your values are maybe the basis of your opinions. But it's, the values are what, what, what you build your life upon. It's, how you, it's what gives direction to your decisions. Uh, whereas opinions... Oh my gosh. There's so many times that I had to change my opinion. And... Uh, and that was, and I was often forced to do that because I could no longer push away the people that had a different opinion. For me, for, uh, to give you an example from my podcasting experience, I used to always review movies and TV shows. And uh, since I was making so many different podcasts every week, I did have very limited time to think, to think through what I actually thought about a movie. So I just went with my gut feeling. I hated this TV series. I hated this movie. It was stupid. It was ridiculous. I remember going on a huge rant against Captain America and how ridiculous that entire concept was. And and then I got so much pushback from the community saying, well, Father Roderick, you have to reconsider. Come on. That is way too... Uh, to black and white actually did you know that and then they started to tell me about that backstory for you know Captain America or whatever other movie and I started to realize that well maybe I have been a bit too judgmental and too quick in discarding this movie or TV show I would re-watch it and oftentimes for those of you that have been listening for many years you know that that <laughs> not well, quite often I had to kind of retrace my steps and, apo- well, not apologize, but to tell my audience that I had changed my opinion. The Matrix is another one of those movies. I remember going to the United States 
for the premiere of The Phantom Menace. This was at the time that uh, sometimes there would be months of time between the premiere in the United States and in Europe because there was no way to get access to those movies anyway. The internet wasn't fast enough to, you know, for, for downloading or pirating movies. Um, people did that with music, but not with movies. And so they could easily uh, premiere a movie in one place, for instance, in the summertime, and then it would only get to the Netherlands and to Europe in the wintertime. For Star Wars, of course, that is horrible. That is just almost capital punishment. How can you launch a movie that we've been waiting for for 20 years or more and then not show it to every Star Wars fan in the world? It just felt so... so... <laughs> unjust. But through a number of circumstances, which I won't go into here, I was able to travel to the United States and watch the movie there. And now I completely lost my train of thought because Star Wars entered my mind and it was kind of this... <laughs> it's just like this big shockwave that uh, obliterates any other thoughts. Um, what was I going to say? I went to the United States... Oh, yeah. I, so, uh, one of the places that I visited during that trip, which was about three weeks, was L.A. And with a friend, I visited the famous Hollywood Boulevard, you know, the Sunset Boulevard, the uh, Chinese Man Theater. And when we, when we went to the Chinese Man Theater, there was actually a movie that I hadn't heard of yet because it hadn't premiered yet in the Netherlands, which was The Matrix. And Star Wars, The Phantom Menace, was not anywhere near its premiere. I would see that two weeks later, I think, in, uh, in Dallas. So, but I wanted to have that experience of the Chinese Man Theater. It was such a famous, iconic theater. So, uh, with that friend, we went to see The Matrix, and I remember I was still jet-lagged, and I fell asleep halfway. I didn't understand anything. I was like, what? Wait a minute, Once, at one point he was just in that world, that kind of greenish world with the guys with the sunglasses and, the, and now, and then he's like jumping over buildings and, and kung fu and now he's in this ugly ship and he's like so, he lost all his hair. What is going on? What a stupid movie. And I was so negative about that movie. I didn't have a podcast back then. I just had a blog about Star Wars. This was even before the word blog was was invented, but I, I, I wrote articles on the internet on my own website about these prequels. And, and, and I just remember that I was so negative about The Matrix. Like, how can people like that movie? It's, it's so bad. And it's, it's, it's confused and it's stupid and all those fight scenes. And, oh, awful, awful. Worst movie ever. I felt like comic book guy. Like, worst movie ever. <laughs> and in the end, I turned. It turned out that the Matrix, the first Matrix movie, was one of my favorite movies of all time. It's such a. There, the movie has such a depth. I'm still going to venture into the woods here, because <clears throat> I'm like this. This road, the the bike road, uh, it's nice and dry and paved, but it's also extremely boring. It's just one straight line. This path is. Not as muddy as the rest, so I'll just go into the woods here. And I have to figure out how to get back, because I started there. This is literally not my neck of the woods, so I have to make sure I don't get lost, because I, <laughs> I don't have all morning to record my shows. But so, I ended up appreciating uh, The Matrix so much more, and... <clears throat> In, in my life, I've had so many different uh, times that I discovered that actually my, my initial impression, my first opinion, was wrong. It was just wrong. And there's nothing bad about admitting that. The one, play, where the one uh, area of my life where I was less maybe open to divergent opinions and less willing to enter into a dialogue with people that are from different cultures, different ways of life, different opinions, was, was faith. That made me very uncomfortable to even consider that maybe 
other people <laughs> could teach me something. And that's what I, for years, saw as the opposition, you know, those, those rebels that are <laughs> diluting the faith with their liberal ideas, you know, the, the kind of language. I was, I was just, that was basically, that attitude of rejection was basically hiding my own fear of maybe being wrong or maybe, you know, what if, what if, what if the church is, is wrong about certain things? What if I'm just making this up by myself? It's like this very frightening existential fear of, of being wrong because faith is what gives my life direction. It's what has <laughs> determined all my life cho- choices from the age of 18. I'm going to turn to the right and walk back parallel to the paved road that I was on because I'm afraid that if I continue, if I venture deeper into these woods, I will not find my way back. Um, but, uh, and, and, and it, it was, I think, understandable. It's also, uh, you don't want to shake things up uh, in all areas of your life all the time. You need a certain safety. Also, you need to, I think you need to be, very clear about your own values and what is the true foundation of your life and in my case of course it's it's god it is the part of church doctrine that i feel is has a certain um validity throughout history um there are certain truths i learned that as a philosopher of course that are not changeable um there well think of for instance the human rights that that is very much something that we we want to agree on because we feel this is clo- this is the truth there are certain basic truths and certain basic rights that people have as human beings that we should all share and we should all respect no matter your cultural background or your religious uh, opinions but there are other parts of uh in the life of the church that have changed throughout the ages just to name one liturgy i mean this whole controversy that we've seen in certain circles around whether or not the church should allow people to celebrate according to the older liturgy they call that latin mass which of course is ridiculous because you can celebrate new liturgy also in latin and i do it all the time but it's this tridentine rite that was reformed in the 60s or in the 70s, actually, after the Second Vatican Council. But for some people, that is a no-go, you know? It's just like, oh, the Church is denying something that has been part of the, of the Catholic Church since forever. And like, no. <laughs> Not, if you look at history, that um, history itself will challenge you. And a lot of the newer liturgy is actually inspired by the ancient liturgy from the first centuries the kind of liturgy that church fathers talk about so in many ways the new liturgy is older than the old liturgy but it is this i think the 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 intensity of the of the debate because i'm not sure if it's dialogue the debate is linked to this fear of, well, but if we lose that, we lose everything the church stands for and it makes everything relative. It's like some, um, let's say, certain certain groups of Christians that are unable to, to allow the thought that maybe the Bible is not a literal account of what happens in all places. Uh, and that, some, that the Bible, for instance, the, the story of creation... Uh, some Christians fear that if you let go of that idea that that is actually the absolute scientific truth and that there can't be any dinosaurs or anything because it's not written in the Bible and, and the world was exactly, you know, created in exactly seven days. Um, if, if, you, if you lose that, then all the rest is, is, uh, would, would, cr- would crumble as well. Whereas, of course, if you look at the scientific approach... Uh, by b- biblical sco- scholars, they will tell you, well, there are different levels of truth. You've got the literal truth, but there is also a story can also express a certain truth that may not be um, a truth in the sense of um, something you can demonstrate scientifically, but it's still a part of these 
eternal <laughs> bedrocks of 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 the world in our relationships with one another and with God. So um, you could have a story that was written down by someone who imagined something, uh, and you can, I, I think you can still say that. Uh, such a story is inspired by the Holy Spirit, but it's a story. It's a, it's a way to convey certain truths and values instead of... And it doesn't have to be literal uh, in order to do that. I can learn, like, life truths from a fairy tale. Star Wars can teach me very profound, true things about human nature and about relationships, as well as maybe sometimes... Uh, contradict itself and the same is true for Marvel uh, you know if you look at the story of creation in the Eternals well I, I have some theological points of debate uh, I have some issues with that point of view but it still challenges me to think about these bigger issues you know where do we come from why is this world created what is its purpose what is my role in all this those are questions that won't suffer from being challenged or at least your your idea of what why you are here doesn't suffer from from divergent opinions as long as you f- seek the truth for and and keep searching for you know what is eternal and what is not and so uh admitting other other opinions other points of view other strategies can be extremely uh helpful and even if if you don't agree, if you still don't agree with someone, uh, someone's point of view, it will challenge you to think about your own convictions. Um, again, I want to bring this back to my own uh, relationship. I need to look at the clock here because after after this walk, I'm going to record the extra mile <laughs> for my patrons. Um, if you. Uh, Oh, what was I going to say? <laughs> if you if you if you are convinced that you have found certain truths, certain values that are really helping you in life, then why would you be afraid to expose that to other opinions or to talk about it with other people? The book makes a very strong case for um, entering into a dialogue with other people. Um, based on values, to talk about values and not about opinions. Because opinions can change. The values are much more um, fundamental. And can, you, can have com- you can have the same values and yet have other opinions. <laughs> That's another thing. So it's much easier to encounter, to, to really meet someone when you, when you look for their values. What are they trying to protect with this with this attitude, with this behavior, with these choices. What is, what is the good that they're looking for? This, this joins something that St. Thomas Aquinas has always said, and, and modern psychology confirms. People are always, even the people that objectively do, do wrong, and I think that that is, that is possible too. There is objective evil, <laughs> because, because values, right? It's not, not, not everything is relative. Um, but even the biggest criminal still acts out of a quest for good. He searches something that is positive for himself or herself, but that in the bigger picture is actually harmful also to other people's quest for, for, for what is good. And it can be a mistaken interpretation of what is, what is the true good. Someone who robs a bank may think, oh, I'll get rich and I'll finally be safe. And I can, <clears throat> I can be happy, whereas you could say, well, what happiness is not. It's not bringing you happiness. On the contrary, it's, uh, it's, it's putting yourself in danger and the lives and the well-being of the people around you. So anyway, uh, to bring that discussion back to my personal experiences um, when it comes to the work that I do, this past year, uh, 2021, has been a year of letting go of a lot of things that I felt were the foundation of my life. Uh, uh, The work that I did in my previous parish, the work that I did for TV, um, kind of even the place where I lived. I was like, okay, I'm going to stay here. I'm happy here. All that in a few months was gone. It was completely uh, 
taken away in a certain way without me having any any influence on the process. I just have to kind of follow along. That, I think, has helped me to be much more open to the future and to welcome the change instead of seeing it as a threat. And that is, this, this is similar with opinions and with your thoughts. We tend to to fear what we don't think we believe or can believe. We fear people that are different. We fear cultures that threaten our current lifestyle and the choices that we make. And the and fear generates anger and defense mechanisms. But oftentimes it's uncertainty that fuels that attitude. And once you start to let go and you start to approach things, and the book really helped me to solidify that in my own attitude, once you start to, to welcome challenges, things that happen, even bad things, objectively bad things, you can still reframe them and see them as opportunities. And that, for me, is, is, is the core message of this book. Um, it, the power of knowing what you don't know. It's basically acknowledging your own, your own fear of change. Um, what is this? This is a domain called The Born. Um, but I, I still think I can walk here. It doesn't say it's private property. So uh, some of these paths are getting muddier. But thankfully, there's still a lot of brown leaves here that kind of have absorbed a lot of the mud so I can walk without getting all dirty. Um, but the, the, the power of knowing what you don't know is just acknowledging that oftentimes what we present to the outside world as, oh, I'm standing for the truth, I'm a hero, and if not a martyr for the truth, uh, often hides a, 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 a great in, an, in uncertainty about our own values and choices in life, and we don't, we feel threatened. And this, this mindset, that, this change in your mindset, where you approach anything that happens to you in life as an opportunity to grow, to learn, to discover, is so much more, first of all, gives you much more inner peace. It is so much more comfortable to live a life where you welcome each day, no matter what happens that day, including your own faults and own mistakes, to see that as opportunities for learning and growing, maybe readjusting your convictions and opinions, maybe even discovering new values. Um, and uh, it also... Uh, can enrich your life because you open yourself for experiences, experiences that you would otherwise have rejected. Your world, if you only surround yourself with a bubble of like-minded people, that world will have, a, will have a tendency to shrink instead of expand. Bubbles kind of lose their, their inner volume over time, like a balloon uh, that has been sitting... Uh, near the ceiling for for two weeks, eventually it will come down, and it will have shrunk to uh, just a fraction of the size that it had. And whereas, if you dare to open, if you try, dare to burst that bubble and open yourself, it will only air has a tendency to expand. You, your life will expand and grow rich, and that is definitely what happened to me. In finally, and it took me months to embrace a change and to open myself up for what happens next. And losing my job in TV has had exactly that effect, where all of a sudden I felt this inner freedom, but also this surge of creativity and, and ideas that I never thought of, um, and the growth that follows. And I'm surprised to see growth in any, almost any sector right now. There is growth of the community, which I'm the most happy with. Uh, the Discord community, the, the Patreon community, the YouTube community. It's growth uh, financially. The, the, since the channel, the YouTube channel is growing, 
Um, also, the income stream starts to grow. It's still trickling. I mean, you don't make much money on YouTube. But over time, if I consistently try to connect with different audiences than the one that I already have, it's kind of part of that same movement to expand and try to try to 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 get into other people's uh, lives in a certain way uh, and and let other people guide my quest um, and and also give me ideas i think ultimately that will uh, give a new foundation which i which may actually be much better than what i had or actually maybe i'm convinced that it will be much better than what i had so um and then the the other thing that has uh, am I going to I'm not going to continue because then I'm I'm back home I'm going to go up this hill uh, which has the advantage of you know the higher the ground <laughs> the the more the water will will have uh, will, will will go down. <laughs> Water tends to go in the opposite direction of me going uphill. So I, I am going to change hands, though. Hold on. I've got my umbrella in my right hand. Microphone in the left hand. Let me just switch that over because my this umbrella is still a bit heavy. Ah, that feels better. Yeah, my right arm is a bit in a cramp right now. Um, the, the, the Having more time to focus on the community and to to, to engage in in, on Discord with uh, my closest followers you know the most the the, the patrons are my most engaged audience they they literally help me build this community help me expand give me ideas but the fact that I spent more time there and I dare to put myself into question. So what I do a lot is communicate in on Discord. This is what I think I should do. But what do you think? This is what... Here, I, I created this video. What do you think? Does this work? Is this the right direction? And you know what I love about the Discord community and about my patrons? Is that they push back. They're not afraid to tell me, well... Sure, we admire your productivity, <laughs> but you're overdoing it, or you're, 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 uh, it's too, you're scattering your energy over way too many projects. Uh, uh, focus on quality, focus on storytelling. You don't have to post a new video every day. Just calm down and do what you're really good at. Uh, focus on your area of excellence. I'm, I'm translating this in in language that I learned previously. But focus on what you really do well and believe and trust that that will be enough. And that actually may be more beneficial than just following all these, uh, all this advice from, from YouTubers and people that uh, can tell you so much about algorithms, but not much about the contents of videos. And, and focus on the contents and the rest will follow. Trust that. Letting go of my own conviction, this kind of was a pretty new conviction that, you know, I had to grow this channel, focusing, etc. Um, I still believe that it is yielding its fruit, but I, you can also go way too far in the, in the opposite direction. And for me, the, 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 the talking with the Discord community and having a community also of critics like a pushback community, has challenged me to think even deeper, to constantly reassess what I do and to make sure that I listen to those that I actually want to serve. And this is the most important thing. You know, if you want to help people, you the best attitude, this is also from the book, the best attitude is not to preach down to them, not to enter into a monologue, but to also show yourself vulnerable which is what we all are let's be honest but to show it is something that not everyone wants to do well the fact that you're listening to this podcast right now means that you know that I am vulnerable and I'm not afraid to make myself vulnerable or show my vulnerability I should put it that way 
and to talk about with you about my own doubts and struggles and I, I hope I never convey the image of someone who knows it all and always make the, makes the right choices and just uses the microphone to tell you what you should do as well. So the attitude that the book uh, promotes and, and recommends is this attitude where you also communicate what you don't know, where you have doubts, where you want to learn and to gather different points of view, even though you may not follow them or not follow them all. And that is something that the Discord community, um, for those of you that are listening for the first time, the Discord community is um, its basically a forum. Uh, I don't know if you know Slack, Microsoft Slack. It's a bit like that, but it was built by gamers, for gamers initially, and now it's, uh, it's, it's used very, very broadly um, in, on social media. There's kind of this closed community where people can discuss. And if people become a supporter, a co-producer, you could say, someone who helps me with my mission financially and with advice and by thinking and, and supporting me as a community, they, they automatically get access to that Discord server. So that's where um, a certain group of listeners or viewers uh, come together. And having that as my backbone... Not as people that applaud everything I do, but also, and that's a, that's a, a proof of the quality of that of, of that community and the people that are part of it. It the fact that they dare to challenge me, and to also tell me when a video is you know don't do that, do this instead. That for me is so beneficial, and it doesn't mean that I immediately know what to do with it. And sometimes I'm like, oh man. So I thought that I was doing the right thing, and then it turns out that maybe I was wrong. But just admitting that I can misfire, that I can make mistakes, even though you know I'm, I'm pretty experienced when it comes to media production, but in a certain area. And there is so much for me to discover. And to, to enter into that attitude of someone who still has to learn, I think it will help me this year in, a, in ways that... I think I couldn't have imagined last year around this time. So thank you for pushing back. Thank you for helping me to rethink my own positions, um, to bring in other ideas. It can only make me stronger and richer. And to wrap things up here, I think that's also vital, vital to the Catholic Church and to any church, basically. Um, as I said, uh, Pope Francis hopes that we enter into this synodal process where we start to listen first. He continues to emphasize that. Listen, listen, not just to people that agree with you, but listen more <laughs> to the people that don't agree with you, that may think you're completely backwards. Don't be afraid of them. Invite them to tell you about their values and the choices that they make based on those values and reconsider your own values and, and re-evaluate your own choices. There is a difference between eternal values and dogma that is perpetual in a certain way because it's based on, on the truth and, and what you could call church discipline or church culture, church liturgy, the forms... The, even the rule book, you know, canon law, has changed so often in, in, in the church throughout history because the situations changed. Uh, Pope Francis has made a ton of amendments to canon law. Uh, for instance, when faced with the uh, church abuse, and it and turned out, well, it turned out, it's obvious that the rules in place um, were insufficient and needed to, to be reformed in order to protect the, uh, the, the vulnerable people and to, um, to, to be able to punish and hopefully also change and convert uh, the, the, per the perpetrators of abuse. And if not, to make sure that they are not in any position to endanger other people, and if necessary, 
just by kicking them out. Because a community, a church community, needs to be safe for everyone. I do the same with Discord. I do the same in my YouTube comments. If someone starts to attack, starts to rant, uh, starts to fight with other uh, commentators or other people that comment, I kick those people out. I ban them. It's not because I don't want to be open to their opinion, but it is because they endanger the freedom of expression and the safety of the others. So there are certain rules <laughs> that you have to put in place, and if necessary, you have to add to those rules. And I think that one of the biggest dangers in our changing society, because let's be honest, the, the secularism in our, in our Western world is a, is a symptom of culture changing and people reevaluating their um, adherence to certain groups, communities. The church used to be a, a huge social group in society that helped people to find common ground and to, uh, to, to undertake changes and improvements in society. Uh, lots of good things came from the church, but now people are seeking that type of community elsewhere and they may no longer agree with the ways of the church or the attitude of the church and to a certain extent I, I can understand that and I, if I look at my own the changes in my own behavior and my current aversion to, to people that for instance abuse their power to just command other people without entering into a dialogue without even listening this is pretty common. We have that in, in a lot of places. Uh, even around the Pope, in the, in, the, in, in the Roman Curia, I think that there is some of that, you know, attitude of, of the very defensive and even aggressive to anyone who threatens the status quo. But for Pope Francis, that is putting the church in mortal danger of losing uh, its relevancy for people. Because, huh, if you want it or not, people are free. They can choose. They can walk away. Even Jesus had to acknowledge that possibility with his own apostles. Do you want to go as well? He said. And then the apostles said, told him, or Peter told him, Lord, where should we go? You have words of eternal life. That should be the foundation of your adherence. The acknowledgement that this is where I find my values. So I'm not going to walk away. But... So I think the church should be much more confident that the truth that she tries to safeguard and that she lives by, and the, not to mention the living guidance of the Holy Spirit, will keep her on track. Even in times where the culture is changing and certain values may start to disappear, the first thing you need to do is not condemning the, the, the culture around you, but to ask yourself, what can I do? What can I learn from this? How does this challenge me to change my ways or to change my communication or my approach? And, and to not be afraid of people who try to experiment with that. That's another thing. Experiments are, have always been a kind of suspect among certain groups in the church. And if you look at some of the of the opposition against, uh, let's say, the, the, the church reform during um, the Second Vatican Council, they will often, and I have been part of that, they will look at the, for instance, the liturgical experiments in the 70s and 80s, that's the time that, that I grew up in the church, as, you know, these ridiculous experiments from those hippies, and they, instead of holding on to the beauty of traditional liturgy. They just did whatever they wanted and it was just a total mess and we're so glad that we, that we stopped this in, <laughs> in its tracks. And now I'm thinking, well, but those experiments were, I think, a genuine form of trying to seek new forms. And yeah, some of them were ill-advised and uh, thankfully have disappeared since then. But the actual process of experimentation, I think, was a sign of life, was a sign of uh, that people were engaged and were trying to find 
their way into the, to the future and only afterwards you can evaluate and then you can say well, well wait a minute that was that was stupid <laughs> but in your own life you you do that all the time without condemning your your <laughs> yourself you're like oh i learned from that why can't we look at uh, the current situation of the church as a another opportunity for experimentation and and what i sometimes see and I have also experienced myself in my own uh, efforts to reach out in a non-traditional way in a certain manner is is rejection is fear is like we have to be in total control I remember pitching a couple of years ago to the bishops that uh, you know it's time to really establish a presence on social media because that's where the future of media is television, radio, the traditional stuff, these few programs that still carry the flag of Catholicism, that's all going to disappear. And you need to have your own experience. You can't just um, rely on this hope that public media will continue to uh, help you reach people. And so, but... Uh, what I proposed was very different from what it ended up being, which was basically uh, propaganda. <laughs> I can't put it in any other way. It's this very, very tightly controlled media communication with interviews with very pious people. Definitely, absolutely beautiful, uh, you know, conversations that were very uh, edifying. But no... Um, well, very little. I don't want to be too negative about it because it's also an effort. It's also a way for them to experiment with this. But it, for me, it, it felt so much niche. Um, content made by a certain part of, of, of the Catholic Church, very faithful, very uh, culturally also identical, um, and made by that group for that group. And that, that's always been a, uh, a temptation. Uh, we, we struggled with that same, that same question um, when we were podcasting. And uh, there, there was always this, you know, this temptation to go the easy way, to make podcasts with, about very Catholic topics for very Catholic people to organize... Uh, meetings or conventions for very catholic people <laughs> where we would promote very catholic stuff and it's it it's it's okay to do that but it cannot be your only your only the only way it's certainly that's creating a bubble and there's nothing wrong with bubbles as long as you also uh often step out of that bubble and try to enrich your own your own culture and your own world with the ideas and opinions of people that may not belong to your social, cultural or faith group. And it's that encounter that makes you rich and also can help you to become a stronger believer. <laughs> you know, it's when your truths and values are challenged that you need to think about, well, where do I stand? That's how it worked when I was 17 years old. And in my class, I was the only well, one of the two only people that still went to church. And the fact that people started to attack the faith that I belonged to was for me the trigger to go and read up about it and to, to start trying to explain why I was still uh, going to church, which ultimately in the end led to me becoming a priest. So um, this, this countercultural or these, these culture wars... Um, that many people uh, f kind of flock to or, or feel comfortable with because it gives them a clear identity and a clear enemy to fight, I think in the end are going to be very counterproductive. And it is uh, in the encounter between faith and science and uh, the culture of the church and the culture of the, of the world in which the gospel should be proclaimed that is where you will find new ways and you will discover how to address uh, people that are not part of your community. Oh, I'm starting to ramble, so I'm going to 
wrap things up. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Let me know in the comments if you are part of my Patreon community. Uh, give me some feedback on this topic uh, on, on Discord. Um, how do you feel about being part of my uh, my pushback group? <laughs> part of the resistance <laughs> against, you know, sometimes these these ideas that I have that this is the way and then you say, well, this is not the way. This is the way. Okay. Um, I, I think that's, a, that's very important in our community. How can we foster that? How can we uh, grow that without being, becoming, of course, so, you know, discouraging that I don't dare to do anything anymore? But how can we make this productive? Let me know. And if you want to join the community on Patreon, just uh, go to patreon.com slash fatherroderick. Or if you want to support us in any other way, take a look at fatherroderick.com slash, um, I think it's donate. I'm not sure. Anyway, we're we're also working on on creating a better flow with the, how how people can support us. You can always support us with feedback and and just by listening, just being there, and 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 make maybe learning something or. But I would also really invite you to challenge me if you hear something that you don't agree with, or you have something to contribute to my life because it may help others as well. All right. I'm going to continue my walk now for my patrons with the extra mile. And uh, that's, by the way, one of the podcasts that you get access to if you uh, become part of the Patreon community. That That is... Okay, I'm just not going to do an ad. <laughs> if you can support, I hope you do. If you can't, that's fine too. I'm glad to have you as a listener and a member of my community. Take care and God bless. <laughs>